I've been doing a lot of thought about the nanny state. It's often used to describe government overreach into our lives in the form of telling us what is good for us or keeping us safe. This term of British origin conveys a view that a government or its policies are overprotective or interfering unduly with personal choice. The term likens such a government to the role that a nanny has in child rearing. An early use of the term comes from a conservative British member of parliament, Lane McLeod, who referred to what I like to call the nanny state in the December 3rd, 1965 edition of The Spectator. By the 2000s, the term introduced in the United States by some political commentators. The term was used in an at-large sense against the legislative tendencies of liberal political ideology, such as in the banishment of smoking in public places or the enactment of mandatory bicycle helmet laws. Other examples include car seat seatbelt laws, motorcycle helmet laws, a proposal in 2012 by New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg to restrict the sale of soft drinks in venues, restaurants, and sidewalk carts to 16 ounces. If the justification for seatbelt laws and so on is that they're for your own good, the same argument can be made about such things as dietary habits and exercise. What about other personal choices, such as the type of recreational sports or other activities you may be involved in, many of which, like rock climbing, skydiving, bungee jumping, motocrossing, or skiing, for example, are more dangerous than sitting at home reading a book? How come there are no government busybodies issuing tickets to people for doing such things as jogging when it's too cold or without the proper equipment? Where do we draw the line and on what basis? You can bet that if the government is ever able to eliminate private medical insurance and put everybody on a government-ran medical system, the powers that be would have a lot more to say about what you eat and what kinds of dangerous activities you engage in. I am sure almost everyone can agree that you are likely going to be safer by wearing a seatbelt or wearing a helmet when riding a motorcycle or bicycle. Most people would also probably agree that it's not healthy to eat a lot of fast food, drink sugary drinks, drink alcohol, do drugs, or smoke cigarettes. Most people also probably think that your chance of getting hurt or even killed increases by engaging in extreme sports. Seatbelt laws and helmet laws are, in the first place, entirely arbitrary interferences with personal choices, which is different than actions or conduct that might affect others. For example, it is entirely legitimate for an airline to require seatbelt use on a commercial airline flight. I can tell you this from personal experience, being a pilot myself. There are times where you can be flying along in what seems to be very, very calm air, and then without any warning whatsoever, the bottom drops out from under you, and you end up flying out of your seat. That can happen, and that can happen on an airliner as well. So the justification for a commercial airline flight for them having you wear a seatbelt 
After all, it's their airplane. And if you get bounced out of your seat, you might cause injury to yourself and others or endanger the aircraft, either of which is potentially a liability to the airline. But such considerations don't apply to the private individual operating his privately owned automobile or on his motorcycle. If he gets hurt, only he gets hurt. Others are not affected. If we're going to accept as the basis for public policy the idea that it is the duty of government to involve itself in our private choices on the basis of compelling us all to do what's good for us, then it's pretty hard to see how to draw any line at all as to what the self-appointed busybodies, do-gooders, and wannabe dictators who use the force of government might decide to do to supervise, regulate, or even restrict us from doing pretty much any activity or life choice. As free Americans, why should anything we do be the government's business unless it may adversely affect someone else? And we need to be really careful with the interpretation of that statement. Unfortunately, this nanny state mentality got started years ago. And since then, it has been used to implement more and more of the same type of policy. Many people have been conditioned to believe it is okay. That same mentality has even led to people thinking that others should be forced to wear a mask or get an experimental injection to protect them against a disease that they may not choose to get protection from. The concept of protecting others has been very loosely interpreted here. These policies violate the founding principles of our country, and there is no limit as to how far they can potentially go. This same kind of mentality is now being used against our right to keep and bear arms, which is also protected by the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, as well as in state constitutions, because most people don't understand that the Constitution doesn't give us rights. I wonder how many people other than me took notice when President Brandon said that the Second Amendment is not absolute, or when some we're mentioning about modifying the Second Amendment. The Constitution does not take away freedom or give freedom. It protects our freedom. The right to self-protection was simply so important to the Founding Fathers that they included an amendment to further reinforce that idea. Shall not be infringed is absolute. Several days ago, Mr. Cognitive Decline himself, claimed that 9mm guns are high-caliber weapons that can blow a person's lung out of their body. Those that actually know something about guns will tell you that a 9mm is only considered adequate for self-defense, but may require multiple shots to stop an attacker. I know I carry a 9mm myself, and I'm a good shot, which is why I think that probably it will be adequate for me. So I would like to tell Brandon the gun guru that even with the most dangerous hollow point ammunition available, a criminal unlucky enough to be shot directly in the lung with a 9mm weapon would retain over 95% of the lung within their body. His pronouncement is just a statement of ignorance. This same pretender-in-chief iterated for the second time in less than two years the futility of Americans attempting to fight against tyrannical leadership. His supposition is that guns are useless in this responsibility. The Second Amendment is not just about a right to hunt 
or the wielding of a weapon for sport, but it persists with a greater mandate, and that is the possibility of needing to defend this republic against tyrannical despots. To our leadership, I say this, if our public servants continue this path of tyranny, such as we have seen the past couple of years, and enough people get to the point of where they feel they have nothing to lose, we could end up with an actual insurrection. This commander and puppet is just a talking head for those hidden in the shadows, whose goal is world subjugation and government. It is they who constitute the real head of the snake. I never thought I would ever hear an American president threaten to use F-15s against his own people. By the way, Brandon, an F-15 is an air-to-air -air fighting platform, and being that we only have guns and stand on the ground means that an F-15 would be ineffectual in urban warfare against Americans. If you had any knowledge at all of the weapons you wield, and you are thinking of ways to kill Americans, then you might use the A-10 Warthog, the F-16 Fighting Falcon, the AC-130 gunship, or who knows, maybe a drone attack. This king of the cognitively impaired likes to say that the amendments to the Constitution are not absolute. But for the purposes of limiting the power of government, absolute is exactly what they are. He likes to say that the right to keep and bear arms didn't include owning a cannon. But in fact, there were zero restrictions against private ownership of cannons. Lewis and Clark owned and took a small bore cannon with them while on their expedition west. The reason why very few people owned cannons was because of the exorbitant amount of money needed to buy them. I want to finish with this. The greatest threat to humans has never been and never will be inanimate, unthinking objects made of plastic, metal, and wood. The greatest threat to freedom and security are disturbed, desperate, and evil people whose only goal is political gain and power. <laughs>